0: My name is Bradley. I'm part of the Young Adults team here at C3. And I'm really excited to share with you today as we finish off our 40 Days of Prayer series. We are on day 36 of our 40 days, so there's a few days left in our journals if you've been following along in that way. But I believe that this series has been a real time of of depth in our prayers, of praying bolder prayers. And I hope that This isn't the end of our experience with learning how to pray deeper and learning how to pray bolder prayers. I hope this is just a springboard for us to pray bigger and bolder prayers to see more and more of God's kingdom come in this earth, in this place at this time. This series has been really special and it's been a bit different as well because um, this series included a 21-day fast. Some of you may have been involved in that fast. Myself, my wife, my brother-in-law at home, we decided to join those who were doing the Daniel Plan The Daniel Plan was a very reduced diet, very simple foods, vegetarian, vegan, very simple foods. And actually, I kind of got used to the food. The food wasn't so bad. I did miss some elements of it, but actually, I kind of got used to it by the end. It was much healthier, which was good. But the Daniel Plan also includes no tea or coffee. That was more of a struggle. Three weeks without tea or coffee, just drinking hot water was a struggle. I thought that maybe I would miss my morning espresso or my flat whites more, but actually I miss tea the most. Actually, I miss tea the most. I realized that in my office, there seems to be this unspoken rule that if something changes in the room, the kettle goes on. If someone comes in, someone says, hey, let's get the kettle on. Who wants tea? Someone goes out, you can quickly get the kettle on and get a slightly smaller round in. Or if someone stands up and hesitates, it's their turn to put the kettle on. But every time they asked me, do you want tea? I had to respond, oh, just a cup of hot water, please. Mmm, delicious. So this Monday was great to go into work. And then someone said, do you want tea? Actually, I didn't wait for someone to ask me. I was just straight, put the kettle on, get that cup of tea. So that was awesome. But it's been a fantastic series. And I really hope that um, it's been an encouragement to you. And today we're finishing off. We're going to talk about when God says no. When God says no to our prayers, how do we respond? When God says no to our prayers, how can we understand why he is doing that? But before we start, let's pray just quickly. Father, we thank you that when we speak to you, when we pray to you, that you do answer. Thank you, Lord, that you answer our prayers. And thank you that when the answer is yes, when the answer is no or even wait, Lord, whatever the answer is, you give us the grace to handle it. So, Father, I pray today that we would be encouraged by what your word tells us about your heart and your love for us. And that we would be encouraged to know and understand any answer that you give us in prayer. So Father, would you bless this time that we have together in your name. Amen. Amen. When God says no, how do we respond when God says no? Why does God say no? Because when it comes to prayer, we can be certain that God always answers. We can be certain that God always answers. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 33, 3, it says this. Call to me and I will answer you. Call to me and I will answer you. And tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Not maybe answer, not sometimes answer. I will answer. God always answers our prayer. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. But sometimes it's just the answer is not the one we want. Sometimes the answer is not yes. Sometimes we pray and we pray and God says no. But if you've prayed a prayer and God has said no, I just want to let you know as we start that you're in good company. If you're sat there thinking, yeah, why does God always say no to me, but he's saying yes to everyone else around me? We're all thinking the same thing. God says no to all of us at some point. In fact, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, whether you're here, you're online, if, could you just raise your hand if God has said no to you when you have prayed before? Yeah, look, we can encourage each other. Hands up all over this place. Hands up, I'm sure, wherever you're watching. God does say no to us, but we're in good company. In fact, if we look at the scriptures, we see God saying no to people that we would consider the heroes of our faith. Saying no to Abraham, to Moses, to Daniel, to Job, Jonah, Peter, even the great apostle Paul, even Jesus. God said no to his own son, Jesus, when he prayed. Jesus, the Messiah, the Saviour, the Christ, God in human flesh. He prayed a prayer that we're going to look at in a moment in Matthew's, recorded in Matthew's Gospel. And the Father's answer was no. And this is where I'd love us to start today. We're going to read a couple of verses from Matthew's account of Jesus' life. And this is taken from a, a time where just after the Last Supper, Jesus, knowing, being fully God, knowing that he is about to be arrested and taken to the cross, he takes the disciples with him and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And it says this in Matthew 26, 38 to 39. Then he said to them, this is Jesus speaking. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. My Father, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. The cup that Jesus was talking about was the pain that was to come on the cross. Jesus was asking the Father, knowing the pain that was going to come, can you take this cup away from me? Father, if there is any other way, take this away. Jesus was In agony, it says in verse 38 that his words were, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Jesus was in agony and he's asking for any other way. But we know if we've read the rest of the story that the father did not take the cup away, that Jesus did go to the cross. Jesus did suffer the pain and the death that came on the cross. The father's answer to Jesus in that moment was no. And if he's going to say no to Jesus, I think sometimes he's going to say no to us. If he hasn't said no already to something you've prayed, he's going to say no at some point. But sometimes it's easy to brush off that no. Because maybe we pray for the traffic light to stay green, or we pray for our favourite parking spot, or maybe we pray for our sports team to win the match, and they don't. Or the light goes red, or we don't get our favourite parking spot. And we say, oh well, you know, it doesn't matter. But there's other times, and this is where we're really going to spend our time today, there's other times when God says no, and there's hurt. When God says no to our prayers and there's heartbreak. Maybe you prayed for somebody to be healed and they weren't. Maybe you prayed for a marriage to stay together and it didn't. There's hurt and there's pain when God says no to those kind of prayers. And that's okay to feel those emotions, to feel the pain, to feel the hurt. But how do we handle that? How do we stop the no that we hear stopping us from praying more? How do we stay trusting in God when we hear no? Now, the Scriptures present a number of reasons why God might say no, and we're going to look at some of those today, some of the reasons that God says no. But before we really dig into this, I want to issue a warning that is actually taken from Rick Warren's preach on this subject. Rick Warren, who is the pastor at Saddleback Church, where we got this 40 Days of Prayer series from, when he was speaking on this topic, he gave this warning before talking about the reasons that God might say no. And I think it's really useful to remember this. He says this, Use these to comfort yourself, but never use them with somebody in pain, because you don't know why God said no to them. Use these to comfort yourself, but never use them with somebody in pain, because you don't know why God said no to them. When somebody is in that moment of pain, when somebody's experienced the raw emotion of that no, don't show up and try and explain it away. Because explanations do not comfort, explanations do not bring that comfort. But just show up and be a friend. You maybe don't even have to say anything. We look at the example of Job in the Bible and his friends, they got themselves in trouble when they started trying to explain and say things. They were doing it fine when they just showed up, comforted, supported, showed love. And sometimes when somebody's in pain, that's the best thing that we can do. But we can use these reasons that God says no to comfort ourselves and to prepare ourselves ahead of time to say, actually, if God says no to this prayer, I'm going to be okay with it because my faith and my trust is going to be in God. So we're going to talk about some of the reasons that God says no. Three reasons we're going to talk about today. And the first one is this. God says no when he has a bigger perspective. God says no when he has a bigger perspective. I wonder if you have a a favorite movie or maybe a movie that you just love to re-watch over and over again. One of my favorites that I love to re-watch is a movie called Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings is about four Jamaican sprinters who don't make it to the Olympics as sprinters. So to make their Olympic dream come true, they form a bobsleigh team and enter the Winter Olympics. And chaos ensues and it looks like the team's going to fall apart and they come together in any good Disney fashion. It's actually based on a true story, but there's the good ups and downs. But now because I've seen the movie so many times, when there's those moments where it looks like their Olympic dream is gone from them, I can just be calm because I know the end. I know what's going to happen so I don't get caught up in the emotion of that moment. And sometimes I think that's like God with life because God has a bigger perspective than the moments that we're in. In Hebrews 4.13, it says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account. Nothing is hidden from God. Everything is laid bare from him. His perspective covers everything. It's bigger than our perspective can ever be. In fact, Isaiah 46.10 tells us where God speaks and says, I have made known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. God sees it all. God has seen the end. Spoiler alert, we win at the end. God has seen the beginning from the end. Nothing is hidden from him. Nothing surprises him. And we cannot possibly grasp the expanse of his perspective. We don't understand sometimes maybe when God says no to us to protect us from something that we can't see coming. Proverbs 2.8 tells us that God guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. God protects us and guards us, seeing as he does the bigger perspective. It's like, if you will, a child who maybe has had some nice sugary sweets and then just says to their parents, well, I don't want the fruit and the vegetables. I want more of those sweets. They're the ones, that's what tastes best. That's what I want. Why am I bothering with this other stuff? I just want the good sweets. They taste good. They feel good. I want more of those. But the parents use bigger perspective. If that's all the child eats, their teeth are going to rot. They're going to be very, very unhealthy, and they're not going to grow into all that they can be. So the parent with a bigger perspective has to say no to the child. But hopefully as the child grows and they learn learn from that no, they understand more and more, they might begin to make different requests, make different choices, make different prayers maybe. And that's like it is with us. When we grow in maturity in Christ, our perspective should begin to change. We won't know all of God's perspective, but the challenge is how do we see more of it? How do we see our lives more how God sees them? How would our, how different would our prayers be if we saw our lives more how God sees them? Do we pray with an eternal perspective? Do we pray with confidence and assurance that God is in control? Do we pray more about the things of this life that will fade away or do we pray more about the things that will last forever? We should be a people who pray about those things that will last forever. We should be a people who pray with confidence and assurance that God is in control. We should be a people who pray with an eternal perspective. Sometimes God says no because he has a bigger perspective. Another reason that sometimes God says no is that he has a better plan. Sometimes God says no when he has a better plan. Now that can be a frustrating sentence to hear. Especially if we love planning, especially if we like to think we're pretty good at planning. But it's true. Sometimes God says no when he has a better and a bigger plan. One of the examples of this actually is Jesus himself and the way that he came. When Jesus came to be, to fulfill the prophecies of the Messiah, to be the Messiah, the chosen one, the disciples and the people around him weren't expecting him to come in the way that he did. They were expecting him to be crowned by taking an earthly throne to restore in the kingdom of Israel right there and then. They're expecting him maybe to conquer military wars and get rid of the Romans and expel them and bring back Israel to the fullness of the kingdom right there and then. In fact, they asked him, "Now is it? now is it time, Jesus? Now is the kingdom going to be restored? But see, Jesus and God had a bigger plan, a better plan. And Jesus wasn't crowned by winning military battles and taking an earthly throne. He was crowned by what he did on the cross, securing victory over sin and death as he did it. God's plan was bigger and better. But when we think about that plan and how it came to pass, we think about maybe the disciples in the moment of Easter Saturday after Jesus had died and was, had been buried. They would have been thinking, hang on a minute, what's, what's happening here? Jesus, you're telling us that you had a plan, but now you're gone. And we have those, maybe those moments in our life, those Easter Saturday moments where we've had the no, that's come loud and clear, but we don't know what the bigger plan is. We don't know what the better plan is. We just see the rejection letter, or we just see the marriage that's fallen apart, or we just see the zero bank balance, and we don't know what the rest of the plan is. How in those moments when we only feel disappointment, how do we stay faithful and how do we stay trusting in God? Because that's when we have to remember the most that God has better plans for us. There's a great example of the, in the Bible where God's people were in exile. They were scattered across the enemy territory. They'd been taken from their home. They weren't having a great time. And God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, this, and it says this, "'For I know the plans I have for you,' declares the Lord, "'plans to prosper you and not to harm you, "'plans to give you a future, a hope and a future.'" even in the middle of their exile, their captivity, God says, I have plans for you. I have plans, I have a purpose for your future and your hope. God promised through Jeremiah that he had a plan and a purpose for those, even in their time of exile, in their time of struggle. And if we'd gone on to read what God's promises centre around, they centre around the relationship with him. God says, I have plans to restore you to your homeland. I have plans to restore you to relationship with me. But the problem for those exiles in that time and sometimes for us is that God's plan to restore them and bring them back to the fullness didn't happen straight away. There was a time of waiting. There was a time of difficulty. And see, sometimes we can struggle because God's promises do not get fulfilled. His plans do not get fulfilled in the timeline that we might want to put on God. Sometimes we have to wait for God to fulfill his promises. But the good news is God will fulfill his promises. God has all of eternity to fulfill his promises, and he will. Just sometimes not in our timing, and we have to go through a time of pain. But there's a great promise even in that time of pain that God will never leave us or forsake us, that he will go through it with us. And to illustrate that, I just want to read from Isaiah 43. This is Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 4. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, He who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for a ransom, for your ransom, Cush and Sabah in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, and because I love you. Sometimes God says no because he loves you and he has a better plan for you. Because you are, no matter what the circumstances you're in, you are precious and honored in his sight. And he loves you right as you are today. And He wants you to be close and to be dependent on Him. Sometimes those most difficult seasons of our life, the most difficult, hard times we go through is when we draw closest to God. And that's what He desires for us, to be close to Him, to be dependent on Him. Sometimes God says no to our prayers because He has a better plan. And a third reason that sometimes God says no is that He has a greater purpose. God made you with a purpose. God made every single person for a purpose. He has not made anyone without a purpose. And he will not let even your prayers interfere with your purpose, the purpose that he has for you. If we look at the great apostle Paul, who was God's chosen person to take the message of Jesus and the good news beyond beyond Israel, beyond the Jewish people, to take the the gospel far and wide, in his letter to the Romans church, he wrote, in my prayers at all times, and I prayed that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Paul's prayer was that he would go to Rome. He really wanted to go to Rome. And I believe that Paul wanted to go to Rome to preach the good news of Jesus, to meet the church, to help build the church, to shore their foundations. Maybe Paul had ideas to rent the Colosseum and preach the gospel to right at the heart of the empire. But God said, No. Paul had a great purpose for his prayer. He wanted to go and build the church, but God said, no. God said, go another way. And eventually, God did, Paul did make it to Rome, but he didn't make it how he'd planned. He didn't make it in a way that he could travel freely and preach the gospel. When he finally made it there, he was in prison. But what Paul did in prison was continue to preach the gospel to those that he could. And he started to write letters. Letters that are now in our Bible, letters that make up some of our New Testament. God's purpose for Paul was not that he would go to Rome and preach the gospel to that generation, although that would have been great. God's greater purpose was that Paul would write the very words of God and preach the generation after generation to even us today. God has great plans for us, even when our plans are great, even when our purpose is great, God are greater. Gods are greater. But sometimes, before we realise, and maybe even for Paul, before he realised that what, the very words that he was writing were going to become the Scriptures, maybe all he was sat there thinking was, why am I in this place? What's the purpose of this God? And that can be true for us as well. When we've experienced the pain, when we're in the pain, but we don't know what the purpose is. We can't see any purpose. We had a good purpose and God said no. And we think, well, why God? In those moments... When we can't see the greater purpose, we have to remember some things. And there's just three things to remember in those moments. Firstly, some things in this life won't change. We won't understand, sorry, this side of heaven. Some things in this life, we won't understand this side of heaven. God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. His timeline does not always align neatly with ours. And sometimes we just won't understand until we have that conversation with him and say, Hey God, what was going on there? Some things this side of heaven, we just won't understand. And that can be hard, that can be difficult. But what we can do in those moments is say, actually, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you are always good. And that's why it's important that God is not sometimes good or mostly good, but always good. Because even when we don't understand, we can trust in his nature and his character and his unfailing love. Secondly, we have to remember that some problems won't change this side of heaven. Some problems won't change this side of heaven. We live in a world that is broken. And although we see some pockets of God's kingdom breaking through and we see pockets of the light breaking through, ultimately until, as we read in Revelation 21 at the end, until heaven and earth is renewed completely, until God dwells with us and there's no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, until that moment there's going to be some problems that persist. Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians that there's a thorn in his flesh and he asks for God to take it away. But God said, no. God said, actually, you're going to keep that thorn in your flesh, Paul. But I give you the grace to handle it. Some problems won't change, but God will give us the grace to handle them. And thirdly, when all we can see is the pain and we don't see the greater purpose, we have to remember that sometimes we might suffer for the benefit of others. And this is a hard one, and I, think I want to be careful as I say this, but sometimes we might suffer for the benefit of others. Of others Because I believe, although we have to be careful about how we say this, there's something really powerful in this. Sometimes when God says no, and instead of taking us away from the rivers or the waters or the fire, and, and he says, actually, no, I'm going to walk through it with you. Sometimes when he does that, it's so that when we get to the other side and when we've healed and when the scars are there, we can use those to help others who are going through something when we've come through a time of pain, a time of addiction, a time of grief or guilt or anxiety, depression, when we've come through that, we should actually be asking God, how can I help somebody who's going through that season? How can I help somebody who's in that situation? And when we suffer in that way, when we suffer so that we can then help others, that is called redemptive suffering. Redemptive suffering. And the powerful thing about redemptive suffering is when we suffer in that way, We are so like Jesus. We are so, so like Jesus. We are no more like Jesus than when we suffer in that way. When we suffer for the benefit of others, we are like Jesus because He suffered for us. He suffered for us. Jesus on the cross, He died for us. He died for us so that we can be forgiven. And we can also be forgiven maybe for thinking that Jesus' pain was just between when He was tortured before the cross and until He died. But as we read in Matthew's gospel in Matthew 26, Jesus' pain started way before then. Jesus was in agony even in the garden of Gethsemane. He was in pain and agony. His, his soul was overwhelmed to the point of death as we read. And he says, Father, will you take this cup away from me? But well, what was the answer? No. Because the father had a bigger perspective. He could see there was no other way. He could see there was no other way, no other way to fulfill the the better plan, no other way to fulfill the greater purpose. And what was God's plan and God's purpose in that moment? In that no, it was our salvation. It was your salvation. God said no to Jesus so that he could say yes to our salvation, so that we could be free, so that we could live from a place of freedom and obedience to the one who gives life and not obedience to the one who brings death. And so, although Jesus went to the cross and took the cup, although he died that sinner's death, that rebel's death, that slave's death, that awful, agonizing, painful death, and although he went to the grave and he was buried, we know what happened next. He rose again. He rose again. God's greater, the Father's greater purpose and perspective was knowing that Jesus would rise again. The greatest purpose in that moment was our salvation. God said no to Jesus so that he could say yes to us, so that when we call on his name, he could say yes to us. God had a great purpose when he said no to Jesus, our freedom and our salvation. As we close, I'd just love to ask you a question. When God says no to you, or when maybe he said no at the moment, how are you going to respond to that? In the future, when God says no, how are you going to respond to that? Are you going to let that derail you? Are you going to let that remove your trust in Him? Will you run from Him? Or will you keep trusting His goodness and His faithfulness in all situations? Will you pray like Jesus, yet not my will, Father, but yours? Because Jesus' death on the cross shows us just how surrendered to the Father's will He was and just how much He saw the greater plan and purpose. Because make no mistake, Jesus was fully God when He was on that cross. And that means that those nails were not what physically held him there. He was not held back by those nails. He was not held there by them. He was held by his willingness to surrender to the Father's plan. He was held by his love for us and what he wanted to achieve for us. Love for me, love for you, love for this whole world and his plan to redeem it. Jesus' surrender to the Father is a picture for how we should live our lives. Surrender to God's plan, his purpose and his perspective. So when God says no, how will you respond? My hope is that you will continue to trust in him, that even in those moments you would draw closer to him. You would say, "Yet not my will, Father, but your will. Sometimes he has a better plan, a bigger perspective and a greater purpose. But as we finish, I'd love to give you a chance to respond if maybe you're here today and you are in that moment between the no and the better plan. You're in the moment between the no and understanding and seeing the greater purpose. If you're in that moment and all you feel is the hurt and the pain, I would love to pray for you today. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand wherever you are, if you're here, if you're online, if you're at another location, I'd love you to stand. And if I was sitting at the moment, I would stand up because there's some things in my life where I'm praying for God to break through, but I'm just hearing wait. I'm just hearing no. And I want to know and understand him more. I want to. I want the peace that transcends understanding to come upon me and I want it to come upon you too. So if you're in that place, if you say, God, you, I want that peace. I want to know what's going on. I want to know the greater plan. Would you just stand to your feet and I want to pray with you and for you. Thank you. Father, I pray today for those of us who are seeking to know and understand your plan and your purpose, to understand your perspective for our lives. God, I thank you that you always answer our prayers and that you always give us the grace to know and understand your answers. So Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters today who are in pain, who are struggling to see what it is that's going on, who are struggling to see the plan and the purpose. God, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would just bring peace Upon them. Lord, I declare peace in this place. I declare your grace in this place. I declare that your promises are sure and strong. I know that you have great plans for your children. I thank you that you have great purpose for your children, Lord. So wherever we are today, wherever we're stood today, saying, God, I trust you. Lord, we declare with one voice, we trust you today. And all those who'd agreed said, Amen.